The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This episode of Disney Deciphered is brought to you by Orlando Stroller Rentals. At Orlando Stroller Rentals, you can rent top-of-the-line strollers like the City Mini Single or Double and conveniently pick them up at MCO Airport when you arrive and drop them off back there when you leave. They also will deliver to your hotel, and of course, they have top-of-the-line customer service. For this Run Disney episode, I also want to point out that you could rent a Bob Revolution single stroller just in case you want to go on some training runs with one of your kids in tow. I recently rented a City Mini GT and received a 10% credit back on my card, and you can do the same by renting at orlandostrollerrentals.com and replying to your confirmation email saying you heard about them from Disney Deciphered. Now, on to the show. Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, Jeremy of Backside of Magic joins us to discuss Run Disney 201 as we dive into the nitty-gritty of what you need to know leading up to the race and for race day logistics. Just in time for the Disney Princess Half Marathon weekend next week. Final episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you find podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. Connect with us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter, or on our Facebook page, Disney Deciphered. And if you'd like to support the show, check us out on patreon.com slash Disney Decipher. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. And welcome back to Disney Decipher. So back in episode 59, we did Run Disney 101. We talked about kind of the basics of Run Disney, why someone might want to get involved in a Run Disney race. And I was so convinced by Steve Creasy of the DCL podcast about Run Disney that I signed up for Marathon Weekend 2020. I signed up for the half marathon. I was super excited to do it. And then unfortunately, a couple of months before the run, long story short, I did not get to run the race. I had to cancel the race. My original plan was to do an episode about the logistics of the race. And we got an email in from Ashley just a couple of weeks ago. She's running the Princess Half Marathon. And so she's doing her first run Disney race. And she asked for detailed first timer help, best practices, pro tips, what happens before the race. And we got a great guest, Jeremy from the Backside of Magic podcast. Honestly, my favorite Disney podcast, the now defunct Backside of Magic podcast. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. And let's talk some run Disney. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here and happy to attempt to decipher it with you. We need that deciphering. Why don't you just give us your quick run Disney background? What is your kind of run Disney history? Well, I guess before Run Disney, I started running just four years ago and since then have run in seven Run Disney weekends total. I'm not sure exactly how many races that covered, but I have done all of the race lengths at this point. I've participated in all of the weekends except for Princess Weekend, which is, as you mentioned, just coming up, but I am in training for it now. I'm actually doing all of the challenge weekends this year, which probably indicates some sort of mental problem, but that's my plan. Yeah. Speaking of mental problems, I know you didn't write this down uh, and I almost forgot. So you almost got away with it, but you also just came off the dopey challenge during marathon weekend. Please tell the listeners who don't know what that is, what insane feat you accomplished over that weekend. 
Well, it's the only weekend that Run Disney offers a marathon. And in fact, they offer four different race lengths in consecutive days, the 5K, the 10K, the half, and the full. And if you do all four, you are appropriately bestowed a dopey medal. And I did that for the first time and the last time because it was pretty horrible, really. I would not advise anyone do that. I'm very curious. Was the waking up at 2 a.m. every day more horrible or the running 40 whatever miles total? I think it was sort of a heinous tie. The waking up was really tough, but you sort of get used to it as the weekend goes on. But the worst part is probably on Saturday morning when you wake up and you think I've got to run a half today and a full tomorrow. That's a pretty bad place to be. Yikes. So, Jeremy, we mostly covered the process of signing up for Run Disney Races in our 101 episode, but walk us through specifically your process for signing up for the Princess Weekend, the timeline, and how exactly it works. We'll do a quick recap for folks. Okay, so all of these races are generally available for sign up about eight months ahead of the race, and they've sort of settled into a routine where that falls on a Tuesday. The preceding Thursday, there's usually an AP and DVC early access date. And it's not like you can take all of that weekend to sign up. There are a very limited number of allotments provided for sign up. So you still have to be sort of on the ball. But in general, the whole thing is not as urgent a situation as it was when I first started with Run Disney, where these races would sell out in minutes. I think now it seems to sort of depending on the weekend and depending on the race length, they generally sell out more so in hours or days or even months. In fact, I looked and of course the princess is sold out, but the Star Wars coming up in April, only the 5K and the 10K are sold out as of now. I will give a shout out to Patty from the No Guilt Life podcast. She also has a great three episode series on Run Disney. So you should, number one, check that out. But number two, I was talking to her after my injury and I was like, is there anything I can do? Can I get any of my money back? She suggested that I email Run Disney and just keep bothering them. And they did refund half of my entrance fee in the form of a Disney gift card. So if anyone is ever in that kind of situation where it's like a medical thing, you know, I'd recommend that you do that. All right, moving on, you know, one of the things Ashley was asking about is this proof of time thing. So I have done non-Disney races, and I've never really had to submit like proof of time because I guess I could just start wherever I wanted. But Disney kind of has, it seems like a much more robust system. So what's going on with submitting proof of time? And is that something that everyone needs to do or just things, something that people want to do? Well, I think the important aspect of it is that so many people run these races. It's on the order of tens of thousands of people, more than 20,000, I think, for the princess half. What the proof of time gets you is not necessarily some sort of competitive placement, but just ahead of the masses in some sense. And so Disney will not accept any race length under a 10K for proof of time. But if you do have a 10K or a half time, it doesn't even have to be you know, super fast. But by submitting something, I think in the case of a half marathon, you have to have something that's at least a 2.45 equivalent time. But by submitting something, you will get ahead of a large number of people that have submitted nothing. And what getting ahead of the crowd gets you is, of course, an earlier start time. In fact, it can be on the order of 60 minutes from the time the first corral goes off until the last corral goes off. That can be important just, you know, for getting your day started and moving on with your life from this whole experience. But also the weather, I'm still somewhat scarred by what happened on Marathon Weekend where it was very hot. 
to be able to run an hour of your race at a 10 degree cooler temperature than people that didn't submit a proof of time is a nice luxury. And specifically for the princess, I did look up some numbers and it looks like just by submitting a 245 proof of time, it would put you in corral E for the half marathon. And there are 1700 people there and 5000 people ahead of you. Whereas if you didn't submit a proof of time, you might be in the last corral, which is H amongst 7500 people with 18,000 people ahead of you. So you can imagine that you have much more pleasant navigation starting off in E. That is a lot of people. Now I'm starting to understand why corral placement really can make a big difference. If you could clarify for me, can you submit different races than the actual race length you're running as long as it's a 10K minimum? They do have some sort of an equation that I don't understand that scales up a 10K to a half expected finish time. And when you're signing up, you have to put in the distance of the race that you're submitting and the time and actually a URL. I guess somebody at a desk at some point types that stuff in and finds your time to verify it. And I think in Disney's case, it has to be within the two years preceding the race. Oh, that's really useful because with a marathon or even with a half marathon, people aren't going to want to run like that whole entire distance beforehand necessarily. Who knows what math voodoo they use, but that's uh, awesome. Well, let's turn a little bit now to preparation before the race. How much information does Disney release to you as a runner and when and how and where do you get that information? So from the eight months ahead of time that you sign up until about 30 days before the race, everyone is salivating like crazy, just waiting for information. And at about that 30-day mark, it starts to trickle out. And I guess there are probably three main pieces of information that everyone seizes on. And that is the waivers come out, which in themselves are not very exciting. It's a single page document that one could print at home that, you know, says that Disney's not responsible for anything awful that happens to you during the race. But at the bottom, it has your name and it has your bib number. And this is, you know, the first piece of meat. And around the same time, the runner tracking URL goes live, which also has your bib number. And then the event virtual guide comes out where you can match your bib number up to the corral chart to find out what corral assignment you have. And of course, the most important thing that's in that guide is the race course or all the courses for that given weekend. Also in the virtual guide is the virtual goodie bag, which might be a bit of a misnomer. I'm not sure that it's really that goody, but it has amongst its virtual contents, some Disney Springs uh, food and shopping coupons. And typically it has a nice little discount on a water park admission and maybe even some future run Disney races if they're not selling well. But I did notice the princess goodie bag is somewhat empty now because it is online, it's also dynamic, which means they do add and I don't know if they ever subtract from it. They probably would, but you know, they do add things to it at times. And perhaps the water parks or the or the future run Disney races like Star Wars that has not yet sold out will still be added to that goodie bag at some point. Backing up real quickly to the course, is that something that's usually very different each race? Is that a surprise or does Disney seem to tend to offer the same course for the same race year after year? I think for the most part it's the same varies race to race a little bit based on construction. Like Marathon Weekend that just happened was the first race where it was really a bizarre use of Epcot that they had to employ to get around the mess that is future world right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that running through those scrims wouldn't be uh, very exciting for anybody. Right. So one of the things I was most stressed out about 
thinking about the race was getting to the expo. I know it's at the ESPN Wide World of Sports thingy majiggy or whatever, but I was kind of like, should I rent a car to go get there? Should I take Disney transportation? So what do you normally like to do in terms of getting out to the expo? You know, that's where you get your bib and you can go buy merch if you want. You know, what are some tips and tricks you have to kind of make that as painless and quick as possible if uh, that's what someone's looking to do? Well, I wish I could have been there for you during your uh, fretting because all of those modes of transportation work pretty well. Obviously, if you have a car, yeah, you can drive there and park. Now, that is probably the longest walk of the options. I did measure it at one time in my life, and I think it was like a quarter mile. What's an extra quarter mile if you're running 48.6? Well, some feel that way, right? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So uh, also, you can take the buses from any resort. I don't love the the buses from the resorts on a, you know, say a a Friday afternoon during a race weekend. I think they're probably only running one bus in a given route. So I've never wanted to rely on that totally. But I have taken the bus back to a resort from Wide World of Sports and it's worked fine. The good news is the bus parks even closer than you're likely to park by car. If you are trying to save those fractions of miles. You're about a tenth of a mile usually in the bus parking. And then the other option that's obvious is a ride share, which is probably what I've done the most. And they pull all the way up right to the front of the building, basically a hundredth of a mile away which is a bizarre way to measure it. I guess that's more like 50 feet. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed yeah. by um, just kind of how precisely you can measure out these distances. That's what right. happens when you do seven race weekends. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, in terms of the layout of the expo, the first building you come to, and this is in fact right where you're dropped off if you do a ride share right in front of it, is the arena, which actually that is the name of it. I learned recently, the arena. There they have all of the Run Disney merch. That's pretty much it. That includes merch that you want to buy on a whim, and it also includes any pre-purchased merch that you were foolish enough to buy during the sign-up period, which you can do then. I did did not mention that. The other two buildings are the HP Fieldhouse, and that's where you would go next or first even, if you want to skip the merch, to pick up your bib. And also that's where runner relations is if you have any issues. And then right next to that is the Athletic Center, which is basically the third-party exhibition hall, but also where you take your bib and you tear off a little perforated part of it and hand it over to the people handing out the race shirts. One thing I should mention is that you also actually put in your shirt size when you sign up eight months prior, and who knows what could happen to your torso or whatever in that time. But if you want a different size shirt, they do have a, an exchange desk not far off from where you pick up your shirt. And I found that they usually have all sizes available if you want to get a different one than what you promised you would take at an earlier date. Hopefully, if uh, you've been training for the race, your t-shirt size should only have decreased over that time. Could be, but I, I've noticed funkiness with the sleeve lengths too. So you never can be too sure. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I got short arms, so I get that. You know, one thing that I have been asked before is when is the expo crowded and should I try to navigate around the crowd? And what I have said at times to those people is really how flexible are you? I think most people just sort of have to go at a certain time and they don't really lay out their Disney trip to give themselves multiple options of when to go to the running expo. Someone should not sweat that much when they go. Certainly it is more crowded at times than others, but I've gone at, you know, different spots in different weekends and I've never found it to be particularly awful one over the other. 
That's a fair point. I guess you don't need a crowd calendar to plan your time at the expo. And it's nice to not need a crowd calendar for something at Disney. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to race morning and logistics. I always obsess about logistics at Disney World. And I take it there are some details to perhaps obsess over. Walk us through the typical morning and what your process is for heading out the door. So I think it's very important to get everything laid out in your room the night before. And that includes, obviously, clothing and whatever else you need to run. The days end quicker than you're used to on these these running days. So, you know, you're you're tired sooner than you expect, or at least you feel like you should probably go to bed sooner than you expect. So it's a challenge and you run out of time, but you got to you gotta find the time to get, it, get everything ready the night before. Because what I typically do for a 530 race start, which is the case for pretty much all these races, is get up at 2.45 and then I'm you know, out the door by not long after 3 and I'm walking into the race area by 3.30 or so. That gives me some amount of time to kill before getting into a corral at 5. In fact, if I do the math, it gives me an hour and a half to kill, which is a lot of time to do nothing other than stress about what's about to happen. But it's less stressful, I find, than sort of being behind the eight ball on the whole transportation process. In regards to the transportation, of course, you have your typical array of options. I have very recently gone by car for the first time to a 5K this past marathon weekend, and it was fine. Uh, There were no major issues with that. I will say, though, that if you drive to the longer races, you might have an issue because with the 5K, it's all in the internal Epcot roads, whereas the 10K, the half, and the marathon start to consume outer roadways. And so when you finish the 5K, you are free to just drive away. But in the 10K, for example, there are still people actually starting by the time the early corrals finish. So you cannot drive away. I actually had to wait on the bus for the 10K for about 30 minutes until the final folks had started in the last corral. Why can't they just go faster? Come on, guys. Yeah. I was screaming that out the window, but it didn't seem to help. So that's a bus issue or a car issue. Now, going to or from the races, the quantity of buses is not an issue. That's one of the most impressive things with these Run Disney events is there is just a line of buses as far as your eyes can see. Maybe your eyes are better than mine. The ride-sharing options, I'm a little uncomfortable with that personally, just because the more things are out of my control, the more I feel like things are likely to go wrong. So I I have never used a ride-share to a race or from a race because, as I said, the buses are certainly plentiful leaving, so I wouldn't do that. I did once stay at a monorail resort, and that was quite nice to take the monorail to the Epcot parking lot. And I know that not only is the monorail nice for folks when it's an option for runners, but also for spectators. Once the runners start to consume all of the roadways around Disney and with all the the roads that are shut down, the monorail is probably the best option and perhaps the Skyliner for spectators that want to get around once things have started. Yeah, I was surprised the Skyliner wasn't open for morning transportation for runners, especially because you say the monorail was open. I'm wondering if in future run Disney races, they might start opening that up. Perhaps. And I think it was an option for spectators, right? Yeah, definitely. It opened at like 7 a.m. or 7.30. So like if you were spectating and it was like the marathon or the half marathon, you were okay to do that. Obviously, the 10K, like you said, was was mostly ending, at least for the first runners by like 6.30 or 7. But it was an option, but definitely not for the runners. There was like a specific sign I remember saying 
do not enter if you want to go to your run Disney race. Well, and that's the problem is it puts you off in the wrong end of Epcot. You got to get to the parking lot out front. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah, good point. Well, you mentioned hotels. Do you have preferred hotels that seem to make the logistics easier or are you just sort of chasing the deals at any given race? I'm chasing the deals personally. And I think there was a time when not every on-site resort was a, I think they called it like a a host resort or something for the given events. But now I can't think of the last time that every Disney on-site resort was not a host resort, meaning having busing and all that. So now I, I totally just chase the price that I want. All right. We've gone to the race. You've gone into your corral, which sounds like is linked to your number. So that's how you know which corral you're in. You're running the race. You see characters. Maybe you jump on a ride. We kind of went over a lot of this stuff in 101. But what I am not sure about is like after the race, kind of what happens? Is it pretty fast to get onto Disney transportation and get back to your hotel? It seems crazy to me, but do people go like straight into the parks or do they usually go back to the hotel first? You know, what's kind of the post-race logistics? And oh, yeah. And then like, do they have bananas or whatever (laughs) they give to people after races? I probably can mostly just speak for myself, although I do look around as well as these things are happening. And my personal perspective is I've paid a lot of money for these races, you know, more than is sensible, probably. And so I want to take advantage of everything I can. And so when there are bananas, I'm happy to take them and consume them. <laughs> Only um, when they're not always there. <laughs> no, they are always there. And, you know, actually, there's also one of my favorite things about Run Disney races is the medical attention, which, thank goodness, I've never really needed anything serious. But just in a preventative sense, I like to ice down after a race. And when you go into a little medical area, there are tons of people there that are more than happy to wrap your you know, ankles and knees in ice and your, your arms. I mean, it's very comforting. And I look like an igloo with a head after most of these races because I just have them wrap as much as they have available uh, on me. And, and, you know, they're handing out wet towels and they are handing out bananas and, and boxes of snacks. And so I, I take it all, <laughs> you know, try to make my money back a little bit. In terms of the buses, I think I already mentioned that they're going off one after another. So there's no issue there. And I do tend to go back to my resort and maybe take a nap and certainly clean up. There are people who go straight into Epcot. I think all of the half marathons and certainly the marathon finish at Epcot's parking lot. And by then, you know, depending on your time, Epcot may be open to everyone. Or if you have an ADR, it might be open to you in that pre-opening hour. So there are people who go in there. And, you know, there are people who stay at Crescent Lake as well that want to go through Epcot to get back. And they certainly take advantage of that option of walking. Well, we've talked a lot about logistics. So now I think we should turn to the more magical side of Run Disney. Explain to folks why you do it. uh, What's good about Run Disney races for the skeptical among us? Well, I'm not maybe the right person to really go too far into the magical aspect. I do think they're great. And I I do advocate that people do them. Partially, of course, it is an excuse to go to Disney World, which is always fun. Depending on where you live, I don't know, you guys are have a lot of listeners in like the the salt plains. uh, But for most people... (laughs) Where uh, where are those exactly? I think Bolivia, maybe. Um, My geography is not too great. For most people, 
you know, you're not going to run in a flatter race than you are at Disney World. There are certainly some little hills here and there, but, you know, it's very flat, which is great. They are expensive, of course. We didn't, I think, specifically talk about the money, but $100 for a 5K or $200 for a half marathon is ridiculous by pretty much any measure, you know, in a local race that would cover your entry and probably paying someone to run it for you. But they give you some stuff for the money that you don't get at a local race. You know, they're very well organized. There were a couple issues here and there with the races I've run over time. But for the most part, I have nothing but positive thoughts toward the way they organize them. Photo passes included, which is nice. Yeah, They actually have a ton of photographers out on the course and they're snapping pictures like crazy. And it's all, you know, in some intelligent way. I don't understand that they read your bib number. And when you just enter in your, your bib number into, into PhotoPass, they all come up, which is nice. The medals are very nice too, really. And I get a kick out of wearing my medal around the park, whether I've run a 5K or whether I've run a half marathon or a full. It's really nice that all the cast members congratulate you. And it's you know, sort of like wearing a birthday button or whatever, except it makes more noise and swings around. One thing I'll say about the medals is that you should always take a good look at them when they're handed to you. Because when I ran my first marathon down there, they gave me a medal that was all scuffed up because they're sitting on this rack of medals and they handing them out as fast as they can. And I took a lot of steps away. You know, I, I probably walked a hundred feet away looking at it thinking, boy, it stinks that the rest of my life I'm going to have this scuffed up metal. But then I realized I don't have to live this way. So I turned around and went back and got a replacement. You know, they were happy to give it to me. And, you know, so now I, you know, don't have to live with that horrible outcome. I mean, wow, you walked an entire 150th of a mile. So <laughs> yeah. good job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I will say on that whole kind of walking around with your medals piece, it's not just the cast members. I think I feel like everyone who's in the parks, there's a lot of kind of just positive energy congratulating people. Made me feel completely terrible because I backed out on the race. Felt horrible. But I do agree with you. I think part of the fun... And it's funny because like any race that I've ever run, like I wear the medal for till I get to my car and I take it off and never put it on ever again. But I do feel like with Run Disney, there was kind of that camaraderie and that um, brother and sisterhood that really makes it a race that I want to run and I want to try out. All right. So we're almost out of time. So I want to do just some rapid fire. So I'm just I'm just going to ask you some quick questions and then you're going to give me your quick answer. That sound good, Jeremy? Sounds great. Favorite run Disney race, obviously princess excluded. Uh, I would say wine and dine for three reasons. After party, $15 gift card and time change in your favor, all included with admission. Time change in your favor. That's got to be fall, fall back, back, isn't it? Yep. Nice. Okay. Although then, not this year. I should qualify. This is the first year in quite a while. It hasn't fallen quite that way. Ah, uh, that has fallen forward, I guess, for lack of a better term. Okay. That was horrible, but I'll leave it in. Least favorite. <laughs> I like them all, but it would probably be Star Wars, mostly based on the fact that it's in April and the weather can be the worst. And for people that this is relevant to, like this year, the gold and silver APs are actually still blacked out on the Friday of the weekend. Maybe they'll open that up, but that would sort of stink for those people. Oh, yeah, that's right. Best character that you've either taken a picture with or seen on a race. Mm. Well, it'd have to be seen because I've actually never taken a picture with a character. Uh, There was a a smart looking uh, duck figure from uh, i think uh, ducktales he looked like he was an aviator of some kind okay. I, I like i like the cut of his jib launchpad okay. mcquack 
That I might be guess. him. I would guess. Yes. All right. Good guess. All right. And then last question. Craziest costume you've seen someone run in. Hmm. I think that at the marathon in record heat this uh, past January, there was someone in one of those T-Rex costumes. What? Yeah. Like you couldn't even see their face? I, I may have been hallucinating, but I think that was the case. <laughs> I guess it's possible. You ran 40 miles in four days, so who knows? Yeah. Well, whoever was in the costume was certainly hallucinating. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, great point. Great point. All right, well, thanks so much, Jeremy. We always like to end with the Disney do and or don't. Do you have a Disney do or don't for us? I'll give you a do real quick. Definitely, whatever race weekend you're participating in, However painful it you think it might be, follow the Dizboards thread regarding that weekend and maybe join the Facebook group because stuff will come up that will help you. You know, whether you actually have a question that you post, it'll get answered or just things you were wondering about. It's it's very valuable. Awesome. Great tip. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy. We really appreciate it. You have fulfilled a dream of both Leslie and mine. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? And I know you guys aren't recording new episodes, but where can people find your old podcast? Yeah, I would say people don't need to find me. But if anyone wants to go to uh, wherever they download podcasts after they're done listening to yours in a given week and find an old one of ours at Backside of Magic, that would delight me because we do pay, I think, $3 a month to keep all of that dusty archive up there. So they're all still there. Maybe pick one in the middle that might be less painful to listen to than one early on, I guess. I think some small percentage of the information might still be relevant. I would actually say, you know, in my estimation, a decent amount of information is still relevant. I mean, things are changing, but stuff from a year or two ago, that's still pretty relevant. And then, of course, you guys have always had those episodes where you're just musing into the air and those will be evergreen, in uh, my opinion. Mm. Your your opinion is very valuable to me, but I'm not sure it represents the greater thought. But yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess I guess that could be very true. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks so much, Leslie. Really appreciate the time both of you have taken to talk to us tonight. Everyone else, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Other than that, Leslie, thanks so much. Jeremy, thanks so much. And I will see you two at Star Wars Rival Run weekend. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 